0: All right, we're continuing our study through the book of Exodus. Uh, we're going to be doing the fourth, or sorry, the fifth commandment tonight, and uh, let's begin now in a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the Ten Commandments that you've given to us to help us understand uh, basically the foundation of uh, the principles that are going to be going into your law when it comes to one worshiping you. And so uh, having, a, uh, having a right view of you uh, that then positions us to uh, worship you through also having a love for one another and taking care of one another and doing what is right and just in the world. Lord, I pray that as we look at this issue tonight, we understand that honoring the father and the mother is linked to you directly and that it is not simply a matter of advice that you are giving, but in fact, you have set up a a group of parents um, to represent you to their children uh, as a model for the world to follow in, in following you. And to uh, destroy this model is to ultimately say something about whether humans in general should submit to you. And so I pray That as we look at this, it it may be new for some, I think most believe in honoring uh, their fathers and mothers, but it'll be new in terms of, I think, the amount of authority that you've given to parents. Help us understand this issue, Lord, uh, in the context that it's given, and and, and help us apply it again in every way that we can to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. (coughs) All right, let's go ahead and read the text. Honor. This is uh, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. Now, very short, it's uh, it's interesting that as you read through the Ten Commandments, uh, all of the first five commandments have the name of Yahweh in them. I think that, even though it's used in different ways, I think that Yahweh is mentioned in each one of these. Because they're about Yahweh. Um, so I don't break up the Ten Commandments as a lot of people do. They'll say the first four are about worshiping God directly. And then the last six are about how we um, interact with our, our one another, our, our fellow covenant member. <coughs> I would argue that actually the first five are about God. And the last five are about interacting with our fellow covenant member and so the father and mother are really about us worshiping God directly and less about how we treat people in the covenant community. Obviously, it functions as a sort of transitional uh, law. But in the end, this is primarily about God. And, and that's an important point because we're going to see that it's primarily about God in terms of the uh, the punishments that are brought out. Uh, because of it, and why the punishment for disobeying father and mother or lessening their honor it is in fact so severe. So I want to do this first, but we're just going to be doing a lot of scripture tonight. Uh, I'm prob- most of this will probably be me reading scripture. And, uh, and the first scripture I want to read on top of this is the variation of the law in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 5.16, it says, honor your father and mother as Yahweh your God commanded you, that your days may be long and it may go well with you in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. So notice that it's still, your, your days may be long in the land your your uh, Yahweh your God is giving you, but here it's actually your days may be long that it may go well with you in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. And so it's just adding that, that extra idea that things will go well with you, that there'll be blessing that you see in the Deuteronomic Code. Now I want to talk a little bit about uh, what honor means, because this is the part where I think, although all of us agree that we should honor our parents and that children should honor their parents, I think what's lost is in the word honor in the English word honor. Um, the 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 uh, Hebrew word kaved uh, or kavod, uh, uh, depending on what it is, um, means literally it means to be heavy. And what we see in other verses as we go along, that you're not to curse your father and mother, that's actually the the word kalal. Kalal means to make something light. So it's not really curse so much. I think that's stronger than what's going on there. Um, To make something heavy, in other words, you put weight to it. And so this is why it becomes eventually uh, to to be used as the word for honor. It means that you're putting weight... To the person in terms of their authority, you're putting weight to the person in terms of how you treat them. Um, So they have honor in that regard. So when, for instance, uh, first Peter says, honor the emperor, it's not just saying, yeah, you know, have a general kind of like, you know, light respect, but it doesn't really affect what you do. No, it's actually saying put weight to him, uh, put weight to how you treat him and put weight on his authority, And so the idea is that when you honor your father and mother, you are, and this is why I would translate it this way, you are to exalt your father and mother over yourself. That's what it means. You are putting weight to them and not on yourself. They are weightier than you are. Their decisions are weightier than your decisions are for your life. And that's why you see the crossover from honor to obedience, And the law is going to make that crossover and the New Testament is going to make that crossover to where you notice that the words are no longer honor, but actually the word obey. So this crossover then between honor and obedience is going to be seen in a lot of verses. So I'm going to read you other verses that kind of show this. Leviticus 19.3. Every one of you is to fear. His mother and his father. Notice the switch there too, between usually it's father and mother, but to let you know, to let the audience know that God is talking about both your parents, either one, either or, Um, you are to actually uh, obey and fear the authority of both of them. Why? Because they represent Yahweh. Uh, Ephesians six, we all, all know it starting in verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Um, Colossians three twenty, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Parents are to be exalted by their children over them, which means that the children submit to their authority and instruction until they are no longer children through marriage or some release of the parents, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But that's very important to understand, that honor has to do with exalting the parents Over you, over your authority, and if that's not what you're doing, if you're doing what you want to do and disregarding the authority of your parents and just basically saying, well, I'm fulfilling this by kind of having a general love and respect for my parents, no, you're not. You're breaking the commandment of God by disobeying your parents. It is, it is a throwing off of God's authority, which is why that word fear is used there. We've talked about that before. When it comes to authority, that's a, an authority that's given not by you, but by God to the authority, which means that you don't get to take it away. You don't get to choose when your parents have the authority and when they don't. God decides that. God actually gives it to them. And therefore, it's very important we pay attention to the word of God When it comes to this issue, um, because we need to find out when does God take away the authority of parents, that aspect of honor and, and just leave the rest of it there. You still are to actually give weight to your parents, but in different ways, obviously, once you are no longer under their authority, but the Bible needs to determine that not the children and not even the parents, because God has given that to you for a reason. And so you should maintain it. So we'll we'll leave that for a moment. We'll come back to it, obviously, because the verses we're going to read uh, deal a lot with it. But uh, I want you to notice what the promise is and also then what the kind of the curse on the, on the flip side might be. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's the, the Exodus uh, promise. The Deuteronomy promise is that your days may be long, period, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so one seems to be that you'll actually be living a long time in the land, maybe as an individual or a group. The other seems to be that you'll live a long time and it will go well with you in the land. Either way, we need to understand in the context of the Old Covenant, these physical promises are to Israel. They're not to us um, in the sense of the physical. Because remember, for the church, we are spiritual Israel. The spiritual promises are for us right now. Now, these promises will be applied to us in the eschaton, in the new world, in the new heavens and new earth, then yes, then, then absolutely. But then that's, how the, that's what the crossover is. So that when Paul quotes this, it's very important to understand he's not merely saying, hey, Israel, you'll our, our here church, uh, you'll, you'll have a, a better life if you honor your parents. Uh, It'll go better with you. You'll have a, you know, things will just go, you know, you'll just have a longer life here and now. That's not what it's saying. Um, That would have been true of Israel because the physical promises uh, function as a microcosmic picture of eternity. But that's not true of the church. That's not true of spiritual Israel. Spiritual Israel means spiritually it'll go well with you because you'll have your relationship with God and communion with God. You'll be given the blessings of the kingdom because you prove yourself to be a believer with your fruit of exalting your parents over yourself. But on the flip side, that also means then that you will inherit the new heavens and new earth uh, only if you exalt your father and mother. If you don't exalt them, if you don't honor your father and mother, you will not inherit the new heavens and new earth, which means that you're damned, And so it's very important to understand this is more serious. When Paul quotes this in Ephesians or when he refers to it, you know, in Colossians or what have you, he's saying, look, this is something that's really serious that that it has to do with your salvation in terms of what what is the evidence of your salvation as a child? What is the evidence of your salvation um, as someone under the authority of parents? What does it look like? If you are in disobedience to parents, you're not saved. If you are in submission to parents, you are. Now, again, obviously, as a fruit, I'm talking, it's it's not an absolute statement. You can be, you know, obedient to your parents and not saved and you that sort of thing. But I don't think you can be disobedient unrepentantly and actually be a believer. Um, I think that's an issue. And we're going to see that again come out as we go through these verses. So <clears throat> we, we discussed honor. We'll put a pin in that as we discuss the verses. We discussed the penalty, and we'll, we'll put a pin in that because we're going to see that in other verses as well. Now I want to discuss who, who the children are because this is also extremely confusing, I think, to so many people. When you read the commentaries over and over and over again, an overwhelming amount of scholars will point out that these laws primarily are not given to little children. These laws, everybody knows that little children should obey you. Yeah, your three-year-old should obey you. Does God need to give you a law for that? Does he need to give a three-year-old a law? Like everybody already knows that. These are primarily being given to adult children. That is a very important point that our culture completely misses, because we don't actually think adult children have any obligation to their parents anymore, especially when they hit that magical number of one and eight, or two and one, whatever it may be, whatever your magical number may be, somehow adult children, yeah, they don't they don't have any obligation to their parents. That's not a biblical idea. And so this command is not going to just little kids. It's going to people who I would argue are... Um, Yes, it, it it you know can apply to little kids certainly, but it's primarily going to children who have reached puberty, and therefore have come to a maturity, and are, have become have come to an eligibility for marriage, and that can be from the point where you know from puberty on to whatever time the parent releases them for marriage. And there seem to be, I would argue, maybe three reasons that parents release their children in Scripture. Marriage is the primary one. So for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. For this reason. What reason? To cleave to his wife. That's the reason the man will leave his father and mother. Until that time, he's with the father and mother. Um, Same thing with the woman as well. She's watched over. She's she uh, has a federal head in her father and she just doesn't go out and do whatever she wants without a federal head. That would be considered a prostitute in the Bible uh, who just throws off her federal head and goes out and does what she wants. So she's under the authority of her parents for that entire time. Um, so one, marriage. Two, uh, religious service. So uh, to be a priest or to serve as a prophet or something of that nature, if you think of Samuel being dedicated to the temple by Hannah, uh, things of that nature. It seems that you can release your children uh, for that purpose and therefore for some sort of service, uh, you know, missionary or whatever you want to call it. The third one may or may not be uh, military service. When around the age of 20 or beyond, you can release your children for military service, I think. It may actually be that the person's still under the authority of parents, even in the military. So it's not a sure thing that that's uh, where the parents released their children. Um, but at those points, at least in marriage and religious service, the parents released them from their authority. At that point, the, the, the children have become full-blown adults in terms of uh, they're no longer under their, their parents. Until that time. Children serve their parents until they're they're actually pretty old if they don't actually go into religious service and they don't actually get married they're in their father's household that entire time <clears throat> so I wanted to make note of that because we're going to revisit this uh, over and over again as I said before uh, some scholars argue this Hamilton argues what many scholars like Hootman note prop, etc., argue, which is that the command is primarily to adult children. Quote, the fifth commandment is addressed primarily to an adult son rather than to to a school age son. The son is to honor his folks is also the person who is to give his slaves the seventh day off, not commit adultery, nor cast eyes on his neighbor's wife. And so obviously that's not your three-year-old. We're talking about an adult son right there. So it's an important point because we often think of adulthood as to whether children can participate in the work of the community, uh, even go to war because that's the uh, one that may not actually refer to them releasing the child or when they are eligible for marriage. But I would submit to you that children are viewed as adults in the sense that they no longer are under the authority of parents when their parents release them either for some service or for marriage. Until that time, People remain children under the authority of their parents. Hence, these commands are not just being given to three-year-olds. They are being given to mainly adult children who are still under the training and authority of their parents until the time they are released by their parents. So this is very important because ultimately, we completely miss this in our culture. Most parents release their kids when they're 18, or they're 21, or whatever it may be, not realizing that they shouldn't, that they actually are still there to guide the sons and daughters during crucial, probably the most crucial point for the fathers, especially, to guide their children, is blown off by our culture. Because men, they abdicate, not necessarily because they think they're doing something wrong, our culture makes it a a moral duty of the parent to push out their kids because we honor independence over everything, and so well this is how you make your kid grow up. You you throw them out of the nest, and they'll they'll learn to fly that way. And what we don't realize is that we're we're throwing them out of the nest before they should be thrown out, and they're plummeting to the ground and they're uh, perishing. Um, they are suffering severe harm from what we're doing, and we don't realize it. And so. I'm not trying to, you know, cast judgment on these parents. Our culture has deceived us in this regard. It has taken out the role of men and their families and when it comes to their wives, when it comes to their children. And even in our language, children just sounds to us like, oh, little children. Children sounds to us like, oh yeah, people, you know, before the age of 12 or people before the age of 18. But that's not the way the Bible uses children. I mean, literally, when you're 80 years old and your children are like, you know, 60 or 50 or whatever, um, they're still going to be called children, your children. And so uh, I think that's where we're, we're misunderstanding. The Bible doesn't do that. It uses the word children and even sons to refer to adult children and adult sons and adult daughters, not just, not just younger ones. I think we all can, can uh, realize that. Um, Luzzato makes this statement, filial, uh, filial, sorry, piety provisions are rooted in the pater familias. This is the, uh, the Roman idea, uh, who exercised total authority over his household and demanded unconditional respect. So total authority over his household, total authority under, over his children, and the Bible confirms this. That the parents have total authority. Children, obey your parents in all things, not some things, not most things, in all things. Now, obviously, I always have to give this caveat, right? Because, you know, parents are government over children. How do you deal with a government that tells you to do something contrary to God? Well, then you don't obey them, right? So then you're not obeying them in all things literally, but the idea is that you obey them in all things literally insofar as they're not commanding you to sin. Uh, insofar as they don't command you to sin against God, then, um, then you are to obey them in everything else. And you don't get to pick and choose beyond that. That's it. And it's got to be something confirmed by God. You don't get to make up sins and things. They have to be actually biblically supported that uh that you are in sin for doing them, and therefore you can go ahead and and uh disobey in that regard, but otherwise you obey them in all things because of the fear of the Lord, just like you you are obeying God in all things because ultimately that's the point. you're obeying God through your parents. that's why you obey them in all things, that's why it's not some things that's not why it's it's not most things that's why it's not just. You know, where you want to and where you feel like it, or anything like that. No, it's God you are obeying, and therefore God you are disobeying, and therefore it's in all things you are to obey parents. So the father uh, and the mother, in that regard, just has absolute authority over the children. So this is repeated in the New Testament, not only in terms of the original commands, but also in the what's called the house tafel, the, 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 the order of the family that we see in like Ephesians and Colossians and 1 Peter, um, as a necessary attribute of Christian maturity and the qualifications of the elder as well in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, uh, 3.4, it says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? In Titus 1, it says, if any is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are loyal and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, then they're qualified, right? So that's the issue. And if our children become disqualified, they're to be put out. We're not to have anything to do with them to show that we would exercise church discipline on our kids as much as we would on a member of the church. We would also be as merciful on our children as we would on a member of the church. We don't want to treat them differently in that regard either, but we don't want to show partiality either. So children become adults who are no longer under their parents' authority, primarily when they are released from marriage. Until that time, they remain under their parents' authority. As I quoted you, hence the man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That's the reason that he leaves them. Galatians four one and two displays this in an analogy with Christ and the law that at a time um, that there's a time appointed by the father of the household who decides to give the inheritance to the son. This is usually done to expand the father's household as the son marries, and is also to allow the father of the household to retire. So notice then in the parable of the prodigal son, uh, where the two grown men, they're grown men are still under their father's authority. And the younger one's like, I don't want to be under his authority anymore. I just want to take my stuff and I want to go. Um, The father notes that that's not an okay thing. We act like, oh, well, yeah, that's just the normal thing he does. And his sin is is not performed until he, he goes over to prostitutes and spends all the money. It's like, no, the sin is being performed at the moment he leaves his father's authority, not by his father's wishes, but by his own. Because the father says, having not known necessarily of the prostitution, he says to the the older brother, your brother was dead. And now that he's returned, now that he's repented and he's come home under his father's authority, now he's alive. And he says this twice, by the way. The older son says, why are you celebrating this brother? I've been with you the whole time, and there's not a commandment I didn't obey, notice, still under the authority of his father. I did righteousness. I served you like I should. I'm in obedience to you as, as a, 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 an adult son, like the Bible says. And of course, the father says, yeah, everything that I have belongs to you. But your son, your, your brother, in fact, was dead, but now he's alive. That has major implications for how we understood the parable as well. Understanding that, look, ultimately it's talking about God, right? It's using that as an analogy that, that we are, if we go under out from God's authority, we are sinning. We are to return under God's full authority in repentance and then we'll come alive again. Same thing. That's the analogy here. But Jesus can use this analogy because it was true of families, And so this is, in fact, the the idea. In the Apostolic Constitutions, this is a couple hundred years after the New Testament, but it's the early church fathers. You fathers, educate your children in the Lord. When they reach an age that is appropriate, join them in marriage. Notice, telling the fathers to do it, because the fathers have authority to join them in marriage to to do all that. We're going to be talking about courtship, and we'll relate this to courtship um, later on in a series, but... Uh, just to provide the foundation for it, fathers actually have all that authority to decide, hey uh should you marry this person? No, should you marry this person yes it's it's up to the father and of course, a good father would ask his children and it, it, they'd be involved in the whole thing. but notice how our that's so weird for our culture because the father has almost no say now it's it's sort of like you know the queen of England, right? there's really no authority there, but we'll still tip our hats and give her a palace. It's, it's that same thing when someone comes and asks for like, a woman's hand in marriage or to date a woman or something from her father. It's really just a formality. Because like, would most people not marry her if her father said no? I mean, probably not. So we just don't recognize the authority of parents anymore. And our, we have our culture to thank for that. And we have the evangelical culture to thank for actually um, adopting the cultural view. A daughter, likewise, can only be released by her father even if a man seduces her and sleeps with her and wants to marry her, and even if he, like, does his vows. uh, So uh, realize that that marriage in the ancient world would be um, that they exchange vows and promises and then they consummate that marriage. Whether it's a ceremony in front of family or whatever, it doesn't really matter. You can marry someone that way. But notice that the marriage is invalid... In Exodus, in the law, Exodus 21, um, I'm sorry, Exodus twenty-two, sixteen, that the, the marriage is actually null and void if the father does not agree to it. So if the, the, the woman does not have authority to give herself away, the father has authority over her, and therefore has ownership over her, and she's not allowed to sell something she doesn't own, which is herself in that regard. Uh, she is not allowed to trade herself to someone else and whatnot. And so in Exodus twenty-two sixteen, 16, if a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. So if the father agrees, he'd give the bride price and then it, it'll be official. The father will say, okay, well, go ahead. You can, you can, uh, your marriage is valid and and I'll, I'll just take the bride price. If her father utterly refuses, verse 17, to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins, meaning he's still going to pay the bride price because he took the virginity of his daughter, but he's not going to get the daughter. They're not going to be married. <clears throat> Hence, even those, you know, our Exodus twenty-one-seven talks about a man even selling his daughter into slavery, which implies ownership of the daughter as well. Now, obviously, this would hopefully not be because of any evil intent. And usually when we talk about slavery, we get kind of flustered over the matter, but ultimately realize a lot of people had to, in order to survive and in order to make sure their children survived, sell them into slavery. One, it would pay for something in the the family that remained and the slave that the daughter or son would actually be taken care of in that household. So no one would starve to death because guess what? There's no, there's no stimulus plan in the ancient world. There's no welfare office to go to. Um, there's a good chance you would starve to death and the way to, or or if you're in debt, there's a good chance you're gonna be punished for that as well. The way to deal with that is that you might have to, have to give up children. It was heartbreaking, but at the same time, it was a way to survive. But notice that the father has authority to do that because the child does not have authority over themselves. Hence, even those of us uh, who would consider Uh, adult children in our culture, um, sorry, even those we would consider as adult children in our culture are to obey the commands of their parents until they are released in marriage for or for uh, religious duty. The older son who is seen as the one who did not sin against his father back in the prodigal son, he stayed with him and obeyed all of his commandments because he wasn't married yet. It seems clear that that's why he's there. Uh, The book of Proverbs is essentially an instruction manual for children where older children, older children, not little children, are being prepared for adult life. Remember, like some of the opening chapters of Proverbs is Solomon saying, son, don't commit adultery. Don't go, you know, enjoy the wife of your youth instead. Like, like obey these commands. Don't listen to the adulterous wife and all that. Well, it's not, again, he's not saying that to like a three-year-old. He's talking to an adult son. Scattered throughout Proverbs are exhortations to obey the commandments of parents to get one's wisdom from the parents and not fall prey to self-counsel. Remember, do not trust in yourself, but trust in the Lord. And how do you do that? Well, you listen to the counsel of your parents in Proverbs. You don't listen to your peers. You don't listen to your friends and your buddies over your parents. You don't listen to yourself over your parents. Remember, you're exalting them and what they are instructing you to do over your opinions, over what you want to do. That's what the Bible is talking about when it says honor. So Proverbs three eleven through 12, My child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you and don't be discouraged when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those who he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Proverbs 10:1: a wise child brings joy to a father. A foolish child brings grief to a mother. Um, do not turn away from my commandments, but lend your ear to them, to my understanding. Um, do not reject the commandments of your mother in, in uh, chapter one. Uh, Proverbs 13, one, a wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A young mocker refuses to listen. Proverbs fifteen twenty. sensible children bring joy to their father. Foolish children despise their mother. Despise their meaning that they they don't put weight to her opinion. They don't put weight to her commandments. Uh, It is painful in Proverbs 17.21 to be the parent of a fool. There is no joy for the father of a rebel. Notice someone who is not listening to his father is a fool. Proverbs 19.26, children who mistreat their father or chase away their mother are a public disgrace and an embarrassment. Proverbs 19, 27, if you stop listening to the instruction, my child, you have turned your back on knowledge. Proverbs 20, 20, if you curse your father or mother, one or the other, the lamp of your life will be snuffed out. There's the judgment that's coming. Proverbs 23, 22 and 20, through 25, listen to your father who gave you life and don't lessen the authority of your mother, when she is old get the truth and don't ever sell it also get wisdom discipline and discernment the father of godly children has cause for joy what a pleasure it is to have wise children so give your parents joy may she who gave you birth be happy uh, again the apostolic constitutions they confirm this by saying honor your parents as the authors of your life Proverbs twenty seven eleven, my child, how happy I will be if you turn out to be wise, then I will be able to answer my critics. <clears throat> I wanted to read you this from Sirach, uh, even though it's not the Bible. It's from the Apocrypha. Uh, Christians had read it. It's uh, it's part of what Second Temple Jews understood the Bible to be saying in terms of the obligations of their uh, the children, the adult children, to their parents. So this is from uh, Sirach uh, chapter 3, verses 2 through 18.
1: Children, hear the judgment of your father and do it that you may be saved. For God has made the father exalted over the children and seeking the judgment of the mothers has confirmed it upon the children. He who loves God shall obtain pardon for his sins by prayer and shall refrain himself from them and shall be heard in the final prayer of his life. And he who exalts his mother over him is as one who lays up a treasure. He who exalts his father over him shall have joy in his own children, and in the day of his prayer he shall be heard. He who exalts his father over himself shall enjoy a long life, and he who obeys the father shall be a comfort to his mother. He who fears the Lord exalts his parents over himself, and will serve them as his masters who brought him into the world. Exalt your father in work and word and all patience, that a blessing may come upon you from him, and his blessing may remain in the latter end. The father's blessing establishes the households of the children, but the mother's curse roots up the foundation. Glory not in the disregard of your father, for his shame is no glory to you. For the glory of a man is from the honor of his father, and a father without honor is the disgrace of the son." Son, support the old age of your father, and grieve him not in his life. And if his understanding fail, have patience with him, and despise him not, when you are in your strength. For the relieving of the father shall not be forgotten. For good shall be repaid to you for tolerating the mistakes of your mother. And in justice thou shalt be built up, and in the day of affliction you will be remembered, and your sins shall melt away as the ice in the fair warm weather. Of what an evil fame is he who abandons his father, and he is cursed of God who angers his mother.
0: Um. So now we come to the punishments for not doing this, and I want you to notice how severe the punishments are. Uh, first, let's let's start with the New Testament instead of the Old. Romans one twenty eight through thirty, actually includes in it a uh, a list. Of, you know, all sorts of, like, wicked things that people do who, um, who are given over by God to depravity. So, yeah, in Romans 128 through 30, uh, Paul says this. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a, depra- a depraved mind. Now, notice to do what ought not to be done, and usually we know that that's talking about like homosexuality and things like that. Notice what also is included. To do what ought not to be done, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, they invent ways of doing evil, they disobey their parents. So notice that that is part of the depravity where someone is given over to the devil, given over to their sins, given over to a foolish mind, thinking that they're wise, being, being given over to foolishness, that part of that depravity is that they don't obey their parents. We live in a culture of fools. We breed in the church a culture of fools. By telling children that they can disobey their parents and not teaching parents that you need to have authority over your adult children until you release them for biblical purposes and not just arbitrarily because you want them out of the house or whatever. So very important, I think. uh, And we often miss that. (coughs) So parents stand in the place of God's authority and therefore any disregard of or lack of fear toward their authority is to be met with death in the Old Testament. Exodus 21, 17, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Now I want you to notice, again, that's kalal. It's not necessarily talking about a curse. It's translated that way. It kind of bugs me that it's so severe, but that's the word to make light of. Whoever disregards their authority... Whoever does not exalt their authority over themselves, they're to be put to death. Exodus twenty-one fifteen. whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Leviticus 26, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, make yourselves holy. Therefore, be holy for I am, I am Yahweh your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. Notice that being holy and being sanctified to the Lord means you don't consider your father and mother lightly. You don't disregard their authority. Again, that's what curse means. Kalal means you dis, you disregard their authority. You make light of their authority. You don't put it above yourself. You put your own authority. You honor yourself above your parents. You exalt yourself and your own opinions above the authority and instruction of your parents. And therefore, you are worthy of death and you do not belong to the covenant community. You are not holy to the Lord. <clears throat> In Deuteronomy 21 Verse 18, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives, where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this, our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard, clearly a nine-year-old, Right? No, obviously again, an adult son. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. <clears throat> um, Deuteronomy twenty-seven sixteen: Cursed is anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. That is, does not exalt them over himself. And all the people shall say, Amen. God pronounces judgment upon his people before the exile in Exodus 22. And in verse 7 gives one of the reasons for God's condemnation as father and mother are treated with contempt in you. Uh, Their authority is not obeyed. The early church father, Lactantius, said a son who deserts his father in order to not pay him obedience is considered deserving of being disinherited and having his name removed forever from his family. Um, of course, you know again, it's a son who can desert. So we're talking about an adult son. So there, there are many ways to apply this. I'm not going to do the financial thing today because we're going to be talking about that in Matthew. And so we're going to run across that in Matthew 12. And so I'm going to save that for then. There are many aspects to honoring your father and mother, but it is important to understand the aspect of authority that this has to do with adult children first and foremost with an application, obviously, to younger ones. But the instruction in scripture is primarily to older ones, which is why it's telling them, yeah, don't leave your father and mother. Don't abandon them. Don't go on your own and uh, live your life in accordance with your own wisdom. Actually obey their commandments Um, don't, don't lessen their authority over your life Uh, again, until the idea is until you're released in marriage. Now, some, some daughters in the ancient world, they were released in marriage when they were 13 or 14 years old. Uh, some, some stay much longer and they need the protection of their father. Same thing with sons. Sons were often, usually when they were older, maybe around 19 or 20, they were given in marriage. Uh, it just depends. But this runs throughout not just the Bible, but also church history. We see it as I quoted the fathers. You see it there. Uh, in, with the Reformers, you see it in Geneva. Uh, you are not allowed to get married, except in like exceptional circumstances, uh, without the authority of your parents say so. The only time you can get married is if you reach a certain age. And your parents had done absolutely nothing for you, and they they totally abdicated their position. Then uh, Calvin said, "Yeah, no, go ahead. You can get, you know, you can make your own arrangements at that point." It certainly doesn't mean you could date or anything, but you can make your own arrangements for marriage in that regard. Um, I'm not going to talk about the courtship issue today. I think obviously you can see how relevant this is to courtship, though. We've been talking about courtship a lot. Again, we're going to do a separate series on that where I'll bring a lot of this up again. But it's very clear that the parents have complete authority when it comes to who you're going to marry. And they can say, you know what? I don't think that person is right for you. Um, I think that you know maybe they're immature or you're immature and I'm not going to let you have them in that regard. They have the right to say that and you need to obey them in that. They have the right to keep you in their household. You should be working for them in your household as Sirach notes and all of that and as we see you know, even with the prodigals and all of the uh, all, all of that sort of thing, um, I think that this is something so foreign to us because we don't view the parents' authority as that great. And the reason why we don't view it that great is because we don't realize that we are channeling for God His authority to our children. We are we are mediums. We are the instruments through which God is reigning over our children, our adult children. And if we abdicate, what do our children have but their own opinions? They are a people without a king. And so everyone is going to do what's right in his own eyes. And that's not the way God set up the family. The family is meant to guard the children until they go into a new family. From family to family, at no time were they meant to be on their own, out from any authority, doing their own thing, living their own life according to their own ideals and what's right in their own eyes, so that they have this sort of sense of freedom to where, well, who would ever want anything different? Because there's no responsibility and accountability at that point. We're not to tempt our children that way, so that when they once they do get married, they long for the days of freedom when they didn't have responsibility. It's sort of like you know if you if you if you constantly feed a child vegetables and health food his whole life, and and then you, you he continues that on in life that's great. But if you have a period of time where you stop feeding him healthy, and for years and years you feed him junk food, you think he's going to go back to the healthy food? He's already gotten a taste. He's already become addicted to that. And uh, I really think it's a drug. I think that sort of that independence is really another name for rebellion and, uh, and a lack of responsibility. And we shun responsibility in our culture and we long for it because we're, we're, it, it tires us. It's so much work to be responsible. And it's so easy just to be a child in terms of a little child and have no responsibility. And when you throw off your parents, you are a child again. You can do whatever you want. There's no responsibility there. And so what we're cultivating in our children, even as Christians, because we've adopted this arbitrary number where, where does it come from? 18, 20, 21? Like, where are you getting it? We've adopted this this ideal that actually is bad for our kids. We send our children away to college to be indoctrinated. That's where they're really gonna become who they're gonna become for the rest of their lives and you're not gonna be the primary one feeding into your children after raising them, after all the support financially you put into it, you're not gonna to get to be the one who actually molds your kid into the adult that they're gonna be? You think that that's really happening when they're, when they're tiny? It's not. That's happening when they're tiny a little bit, but they mainly become who they are when they're older. That's why you can have families Raise these kids their whole lives, but when they go away to college, the person who's really going to affect them are their professors, and you may completely lose them, and often you will. There's a reason why kids go to church their whole lives with their parents, and then they get that age when they go, they go away from their parents, and suddenly they're no longer in church. It's like the most unchurched group out of all the groups, uh, all the age groups. Because it's the group that are no longer under authority and they want freedom and they're, they're being molded by the world. And at that point, why would you go to church? You don't want to go to church at that point. I'm just saying that what, what we've adopted is harmful to our children. And like, look, if you can just hold on for a few more years, I, I, my encouragement to fathers and mothers is that I know that you've labored and it's been a lot of work raising your kids, but the, the bulk of the work is yet to come. You've built up the pyramid, but man, now you got to go up the top of that thing. you got to carry those bricks to the very top to put that pinnacle on. And I realize how much work that is and how much people don't like it and how much our culture that values independence over obedience to God, values independence over submission to authority and God's authority and the authorities God has placed over us. And in in that culture, um, we're fighting against it To where this will be viewed as tyrannical. Because that's the enlightenment view of authority. It's tyrannical. It's restrictive. It's legalistic. I don't like it because it puts restraints on what? My freedom. My independence. God doesn't care about your freedom and independence in that regard. You're a slave to Jesus Christ. And if you're not a slave to Jesus Christ, you're a slave to the devil. There are only two options because there's only two masters. And you can be a slave to Jesus Christ by being a servant to your parents in obedience to them, obeying their instruction, or you can be a servant directly to the devil by doing what you want, but you will be enslaved by him, I promise. One of those authorities is truly tyrannical. And it's not the authority telling you to submit to your parents. It's the authority telling you not to. Because he wants to be the tyrant that molds your life into his own image, to be a an agent of chaos and destruction in the world rather than god who wants to turn you into a creational uh, a creational agent who through family and the transfer from one ordered family to another creates life and shalom in the world as the image of god and that's really what's at stake here and i'm not saying that look if you did it wrong god can't correct the things that are wrong. Of course he can. He's the great redeemer. But you're going to have a lot of scars and there's going to be a lot more to correct by doing it wrong. I guarantee it. Because when we don't do things God's way, we're going to end up suffering consequences we wouldn't have had if we had just done it his way. Now look, um, we'll talk about this a little bit. Uh, We'll probably talk about it a lot actually when we, we deal with the courtship model Um, and parents' authority in that regard. But I do want to just quickly note the constant claim that this is just cultural. I want you to notice these are commands that come from God, and this is why it's also important to point out it's not only in the Ten Commandments, it's in the first five Ten Commandments that are also repeated in the New Testament precisely because it's not cultural, precisely because it represents how you worship God through that which you worship God through an actual moral, not through something that's ritual, but an actual moral. Um, The authority of parents is throughout scripture, not as a cultural thing that's being taught, because I doubt that God would kill you for a cultural thing. I doubt that God would say, yeah, you need to be put to death. You need to be cut off from your people. You need to be despised by the community. Um, You are a fool, absolutely just a fool and not a wise man. And we should have nothing to do with you. Purge the evil from among you, Israel, for a cultural thing. And again, it certainly wouldn't be repeated in the New Testament then, because again, you can cultures are different. The, 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 the Bible has multiple cultures. So anyone trying to say that, well, it's just the culture of the Bible, well, which one? There are numerous cultures, and guess what? In every single one, this is commanded. In every single one. And let me further that by saying, let, let's say it was cultural. Let's say culture is neutral, which I think a lot of people are assuming that culture is neutral, when in fact it is not. Let's say culture is, culture is in fact neutral. Um, if I'm going to live by sola scriptura, if I'm going to live by having a confirmation from the Bible in order to know what I should do in my life, what culture I should live out, I need the Bible to confirm that the culture I'm going to live out is okay with God. I know that if this is culture, God's completely okay with it and even commands it. I don't know that God is okay with our culture and what we're doing because you don't have it represented in the Bible at all. So if I really want to obey God, I think I would go with the culture that's consistent with what's being said here and not a culture that's inconsistent with it which is ours so even if it was cultural we should still do it but i would argue to you that it's not cultural in fact it's what we should do and honoring your father mother exalting them over yourself um this is what we're called to do as god's people again we'll talk about this more but as for right now i think uh that's sufficient let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer Father, again, we thank you for fathers and mothers. We thank you for your word that tells us how we should uh, we should exalt them over ourselves, how we should obey them, how we should view their authority. I pray everyone listening today will repent of any uh, bad ideas they might've had, Lord, and instead truly exalt their parents and become the parents they need to be over their children. Oh Lord, we seek this in your exaltation, always in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>